Hello, and welcome to Sound Sleep. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm very happy to be reading for you today. A big thanks goes out to all of the Sound Sleep Premium Feed subscribers. Thank you so much for your generous support of this podcast. For those listening who aren't subscribers, welcome and thanks for listening first. But allow me to tell you about all of the extra 30 plus stories available at the premium feed, including all of the stories you hear on this ad-supported feed, only without the ads. So it's all there if you're interested. Now, today, I'm happy to be reading Voltaire for the first time, a French writer, and I do hope you enjoy the story. First, let's start to wind down with a short meditation. Sleep and Sorcery is a new bedtime story series inspired by folklore, mythology, and fantasy. Visit a cozy cottage in the mythical village of Slumbershire. Go back in time to the court of King Arthur and embark on a meditative quest for lost relics. Shop for magic supplies in a hidden corridor of London. Each original sleep story is carefully crafted to evoke feelings of comfort, safety, and relaxation paired with breathwork or a soothing body scan to send you naturally into sleep. Sleep and Sorcery is available now on Insight Timer and wherever you listen to podcasts. Close your eyes and take a deep breath in, slowly exhaling as you release any tension or stress in your body. Imagine yourself on a beautiful, sunny summer day. There is a gentle breeze in the air, and you are outside, surrounded by nature. As you look around, you see a field of grass, trees, and flowers all around you. The grass is soft and green under your feet. 
the flowers are in full bloom, filling the air with their sweet scent. As you close your eyes and take another deep breath in, you notice something floating in the air. You see that it is a bubble. It is a beautiful, iridescent bubble, shining and sparkling in the sunlight. You watch as the bubble floats through the air, carried by the gentle breeze, dances and glides, moving effortlessly and freely. As you continue to watch the bubble, you feel your body begin to relax. The tension and stress of the day seem to melt away. As we begin our story, allow yourself to doze off easily and peacefully into a rejuvenating sound sleep. Memnon, the Philosopher, by Voltaire. Memnon one day took it into his head to become a great philosopher. To be perfectly happy, said he to himself. I have nothing to do but to divest myself entirely of passions and nothing is more easy, as everybody knows. In the first place, I will never be in love. For when I see a beautiful woman, I will say to myself, these cheeks will one day grow sallow and wrinkled. These eyes be encircled with vermilion, that bosom become lean and emaciated, that head bald. Now I have only to consider her at present in imagination, as she will afterwards appear in reality, and certainly a fair face will never turn my head. In second place, I shall always be temperate. It will be in vain to tempt me with good cheer, with delicious wines, or the charms of society. I will have only to figure to myself the consequences of excess. An aching head, a loathing stomach, the loss of reason, of health, and of time. I will then only eat to supply the waste of nature. My health will always be equal, my ideas pure and luminous. All this is so easy that there is no merit in accomplishing it. But, says Memnon, I must think a little of how I am to regulate my fortune. Why, my desires are moderate. My wealth is securely placed with the Receiver General 
of the finances of Nineveh. I have wherewithal to live independent, and that is the greatest of blessings. I shall never be under the cruel necessity of dancing attendance at court. I will never envy anyone, and nobody will envy me. Still all this is easy. I have friends, and I will preserve them. For we shall never have any difference. I will never take amiss anything they may say or do. And they will behave in the same way to me. There is no difficulty in all this. Having thus laid this little plan of philosophy in his closet, Memnon put his head out of the window. He saw two women walking under the plain trees near his house. One was old and appeared quite at her ease. The other was young, handsome, and seemingly much agitated. She sighed, she wept, and seemed on that account still more beautiful. Our philosopher was touched, not to be sure with the lady. He was too much determined not to feel any uneasiness of that kind but with the distress which he saw her in. He came downstairs and accosted the young Ninevite, designing her to console her with philosophy. That lovely person related to him, with an air of the greatest simplicity and in the most affecting manner, the injuries she sustained from an imaginary uncle with what art he had deprived her of some imaginary property, and of the violence which she pretended to dread from him. You appear to me, said she, a man of such wisdom that if you will come to my house and examine, and examine into my affairs, I am persuaded you will be able to relieve me from the cruel embarrassment I am at present involved in. Memnon did not hesitate to follow her, to examine her affairs philosophically, and to give her sound counsel. The afflicted lady led him into a perfumed chamber, and politely made him sit down with her on a large sofa where they both placed themselves opposite to each other in the attitude of conversation. The one eager in telling her story, the other listening with devout attention. The lady spoke with downcast eyes, whence there sometimes fell a tear, and which, as she now and then ventured to raise them, always met those of the sage Memnon. Their discourse was full of tenderness, which redoubled as often as their eyes met. Memnon took her affairs exceedingly to heart and felt himself every instant more and more inclined to a 
oblige a person so virtuous and so unhappy. By degrees, in the warmth of conversation, they drew nearer. Memnon counseled her with great wisdom and gave her most tender advice. At this interesting moment, as may easily be imagined, who should come in but the uncle? He was armed from head to foot, and the first thing he said was that he would immediately sacrifice, as was just, both Memnon and his niece. The latter who made her escape knew that he was disposed to pardon, provided a good round sum were offered to him. Memnon was obliged to purchase his safety with all he had about him. In those days, people were happy in getting so easily quit. America was not then discovered, and distressed ladies were not then so dangerous as they are now. Memnon, covered with shame and confusion, got home to his own house. He there found a card inviting him to attend dinner with some of his intimate friends. If I remain at home alone, said he, I shall have my mind so occupied with this vexatious adventure that I shall not be able to eat a bit and I shall bring upon myself some disease. It will, therefore, be prudent in me to go to my intimate friends and partake with them of a frugal repast. I shall forget in the sweets of their society the folly I have this morning been guilty of. Accordingly, he attends the meeting. He is discovered to be uneasy at something, and he is urged to drink to banish care. A little wine, drunk in moderation, comforts the heart of God and man. So reasoned Memnon the philosopher, and he became intoxicated. After the repast, play is proposed. A little play with one's intimate friends is a harmless pastime. He plays and loses all in his purse and four times as much on his word. A dispute arises on some circumstance in the game, and the disputants grow warm. One of his intimate friends throws a dice box at his head and strikes out one of his eyes. The philosopher Memnon is carried home drunk and penniless with the loss of an eye. He sleeps out his debauch, and when his head becomes clear, he sends his servant to the receiver general of the finances of Nineveh to draw a little money to pay his debt of honor to his intimate friends. The servant returns and informs him that the receiver general had that morning been declared a fraudulent bankrupt that by this means a hundred families are reduced to poverty and despair. Memnon, almost beside himself, 
puts a plaster on his eye and a petition in his pocket and goes to court to solicit justice from the king against the bankrupt. In the saloon, he meets a number of ladies, all in the highest spirits and sailing along with hoops four and twenty feet in circumference. One of them, slightly acquainted with him, eyed him and cried aloud, Ah, what a horrid monster! Another, who is better acquainted with him, thus accosts him. Good morrow, Mr. Memnon. I hope you are well, Mr. Memnon. La, Mr. Memnon, how did you lose your eye? And turning upon her heel, she tripped unconcernedly away. Memnon hid himself in a corner and waited for the moment when he could throw himself at the feet of the monarch. That moment, at last, arrived. Three times he kissed the earth and presented his petition. His gracious majesty received him very favorably and referred the paper to one of his colleagues. The colleague takes Memnon aside and says to him, with a howdy air and satirical grin. Hark ye, you fellow with one eye, you must be a comical dog, indeed, to address yourself to the king rather than to me, and still more so to dare to demand justice against an honest bankrupt, whom I honor with my protection, and who is also a nephew to the waiting maid of my mistress. Proceed no further in this business, my good friend. If you wish to preserve the eye, you have left. Memnon, having thus in his closet resolved to renounce women, the excess of the table, play and quarreling, but especially having determined never to go to court, had been in the short space of four and twenty hours, duped and robbed by a gentle dame, had got drunk, had gamed, had been engaged in a quarrel, had got his eye knocked out, and had been at court, where he was sneered at and also insulted. Petrified with astonishment, and his heart broken with grief, Memnon returns homeward in despair. As he was about to enter his house, he is repulsed by a number of officers who are carrying off his furniture for the benefit of his creditors. He falls down almost lifeless under a plain tree. There, he finds the fair dame of the morning, who was walking with her dear uncle and both set up a loud laugh on seeing Memnon with his plaster. The night approached, and Memnon made his bed on some straw near the walls of his house. Here they seized him, and he fell asleep in one of the fits, when a celestial spirit appeared to him in a dream. It was all resplendent with light, it had six beautiful wings, 
but neither feet nor head, and could be likened to nothing. What art thou? said Memnon. Thy good genius, replied the spirit. Restore me then my eye, my health, my fortune, my reason, said Memnon, and he related how he had lost them all in one day. These are adventures which never happened to us in the world we inhabit, said the spirit. And what world do you inhabit? said the man of affliction. My native country, replied the other, is five hundred miles of leagues distant from the sun, in a little star near Sirius. Charming country, said Memnon. And are there indeed with you no jades to dupe a poor devil, no intimate friends that win his money and knock out an eye for him, no fraudulent bankrupts, no people that make a jest of you while they refuse you justice. No, said the inhabitant of the star. We have nothing of the kind. We are never duped by women because we have none among us. We never commit excesses at table because we neither eat nor drink. We have no bankrupts, because with us there is neither silver nor gold. Our eyes cannot be knocked out, because we have not bodies in the form of yours. And people never do us injustice, because in our world we are all equal. Pray, my lord, said Memnon, without women and without eating, how do you spend your time? In watching over the other worlds that are entrusted to us. And I am now come to give you consolation. Alas, replied Memnon, why did you not come yesterday to hinder me from committing so many indiscretions? I was with your elder brother, Hassan, said the celestial being. He is still more to be pitied than you are. His most gracious majesty, the Sultan of the Indies, in whose court he has the honor to serve, has caused both his eyes to be put out for some small indiscretion, and he is now in a dungeon, his hands and feet loaded with chains. Tis a happy thing, truly, said Memnon, to have a good genius in one's family when out of two brothers, one is blind of an eye, the other blind of both, one stretched upon straw, the other in a dungeon. Your fate will soon change, said the spirit of the star. It is true, you will never recover your eye, but except that, you may be sufficiently happy if you never again take it into your head to be a perfect philosopher. Is it then impossible? said Memnon. As impossible as to be perfectly wise, perfectly strong, perfectly powerful, perfectly happy. We ourselves are very far from it. 
There is a world indeed where all this takes place, but in the 100,000 miles of worlds dispersed over the regions of space, everything goes on by degrees. There is less philosophy and less enjoyment in the second than in the first, less in the third than in the second, and so forth till the last of the scale where all are completely fools. I am afraid, said Memnon, that our little globe here is the madhouse of those hundred thousand miles of worlds, of which your lordship does me the honor to speak. Not quite, said the spirit, but very nearly. Everything must be in its proper place. But those poets and philosophers wrong, then, who tell us that everything is for the best. No, they are right. When we consider things in relation to the gradation of the whole universe. Oh, I shall never believe it till I recover my eye again, said the unfortunate Mamnod.